right? So, out of Isaiah. Isaiah 12. It goes like this. If you, have, if you want to look, Isaiah 12 is where we're going to be tonight. Um, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. So welcome to OTC, everybody. My name is Grant Glover. I'm one of the leaders here at uh, Off the Clock. And we've been noticing that we've had more and more new people coming as of recently, which is awesome. And first of all, we're glad you're here. And we hope that you are able to, that this becomes a place where you're able to meet people, make new friends, uh, and have a place where, again, where you can feel like you can be real and just get to know people in an authentic way. And so if you're new, we would love for you to come hang out with us afterwards at the People's Last Stand. That's where a lot of people in here meet up afterwards. It's just right around the corner. And so if you're kind of looking for friends and looking for community, that is a great place to go spend time and hang out and meet some new people. So please do that. And if you're getting, if you've only been here one or two times, you may be wondering exactly what Off the Clock is. And you're wondering, is this just another Young Adults Tuesday Night Ministry in Dallas? And hopefully the answer is no, because here's why. What we're hoping is that off the clock is a place where we can actually be real and feel like we don't have to put on a facade and just be who we are. Because oftentimes when we go to church, we feel like we have to act a certain way or be a certain way to fit in. But what we hope here is that OTC, at the end of the day, what we want is for this place to be a place for sinners, for people who don't have it all together, who know we don't fit in, and are able to find comfort in other people acknowledging that, in hearing about how the gospel actually addresses all of our weaknesses, our failures, and insecurities. At the end of the day, it's not about fitting in. It's not about having it all together. Instead, we're a bunch of people who really don't, but we worship a God who do has it all together. And so what we hope is that we can un- explain and understand how the gospel actually speaks relevantly to the problems we're all facing in our young 20s in Dallas. And all the insecurities we deal with. And a massive insecurity, a good example of a massive insecurity, was shown in that clip uh, from Moana, which, by the way, is an amazing Disney movie. And I will throw hands with anyone who makes fun of me for knowing that entire soundtrack. Because it's objectively amazing, right? Yeah, incredible. I won't sing now. Catch me at People's Last Stand afterwards. But in it. In that clip, you saw Maui, who is like the sidekick kind of to Moana. She's the main character. But Maui is this demigod. And he's one of those guys who's kind of looks real tough on the outside, tries to show no weaknesses. But beneath all those muscles and the tattoos on him is a scared little kid. And you saw that in the clip because when he was younger, he was discarded. And every great feat of strength he did, everything he did in his life, he was seeking to gain people's approval. 
And what he did was he was trying to find worth and value, and he tried over and over and over again to please people. But at the end of the day, after all those efforts, what he said was, it was never enough. And many of you can often feel like you're in the exact same spot. Because you went to college, and you had dreams. You dreamed of meeting your spouse. You dreamed of starting your dream job. You dreamed of having a social life. And maybe some of that happened, but my guess is some of it didn't. And now you're in your young 20s and there's no horizon in sight. College lasts four years. When you're an adult, we're working till the end, people. <laughs> and when there's no end in sight and things haven't panned out the way we thought they would, there could be questions. And now, in all seriousness, we're not sure who we are. Because we might feel like we're behind in life. Maybe you feel that many things you thought you'd have by now, you don't have. Like, you thought by now you'd have enough friends. You'd have the right relationship. You'd have the right career where you don't feel like your bosses make your lives miserable. And you're wondering if this is just how it's supposed to be, and at the end of the day, you're what, you begin to feel like Maui. It's just never enough. And most people in Dallas are looking around in every other direction except for Christianity as to how to cope with this problem. And so my question, the question we want to answer tonight is where should you look to make your young 20s not feel like a waste of time, to not feel like you're behind? What do you do when you feel like the goals you've been striving for have not paid off? And we'll find that answer in Isaiah 12, which is a short little chapter in Isaiah, and it's a kind of a little song of sorts. And we've been working our way through the book of Isaiah. And in it, we're going to see three things. What God provides, how you respond, and where you get it. What God provides, how you respond, and where you get it. So first, we'll move our way through the passage starting in verse 2. And we're going to look at what God provides. Look down with me at verse 2. Or look up with me, I should say. Look what it says. It says, Isaiah 12, 2. Behold, God is my strength and my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. As you can see... What it says twice there is that God is my salvation. And when we hear that word salvation, our brains are trained to think of some kind of religious experience, right? Like when we hear salvation, what we tend to think of is some emotional moment at church or at church camp when you were younger, when you prayed a prayer and punched your ticket to heaven and became a Christian. But salvation biblically is much more than that. It's bigger than that. And we know that, for example, because the Hebrew word for salvation here is Yeshua. And it refers to deliverance and rescuing in general, more so than a religious experience. For example, Yeshua was used to describe how God brought Israel out of slavery in Egypt, which Blake so brilliantly described with movies last week. Movies, Moses, Ten Commandments, that thing. That was described by the Israelites as Yeshua, deliverance. This kind of salvation that the Bible is talking about is more than a religious experience, but God actually doing something, actually rescuing you. But what 
would that exactly look like? Let's keep reading. Down to verse 3. If you see Isaiah 12, 3, with joy you will draw from the wells, draw water from the wells of salvation. And this sounds cryptic, and it's because it's metaphoric imagery that would, ma- would have made more sense to an Israelite back then than it does now. Because in those days, water was incredibly hard to come by. They lived in a desert, and if you wanted water, you had to go dig a well. And digging wells was expensive, it took time, lots of labor. And if you didn't have water, you couldn't feed your herd, couldn't tend your flock, you couldn't water all the plants, all the food that you needed to survive, you couldn't do without water. Water was essential. It was life or death. And so for Israelites, they always used water imagery to describe sustaining life. And so what Isaiah is saying here by using water imagery is he's saying that God sustains life for us in a meaningful way, and he actually provides a life of joy. He is the well that we go to with our lives. And let's pause right here and say, this is the answer to our question. This is what God provides. God, being the well, has the fulfillment that you're seeking. Because this water metaphor is a metaphor for something bigger. This is not just about physical water. Because what it's saying is that anywhere you go in life, to any source of where you try to find a meaningful, purposeful life, any tangible place you go to draw water to find contentment and fulfillment will ultimately leave you thirsty. This is what the Bible talks about. What the Bible talks about is this idea of heart idols. This, there are things that we desire from the earth and things that we desire in life. And when we go and try to fill up our sense of purpose with them, they leave us like Maui wanting more. If you try to find your joy and fulfillment by having a boyfriend, you will either never, he will either never be good enough for you and never carry the weight of expectation you've placed on a relationship, or he will leave you feeling worthless and meaningless. If you try to place your fulfillment in your career, in your accomplishments, you will either, you're really only as good as your performance reviews, and you will waste many days comparing your work to others and wondering why you're falling behind. Any temporary source of water, so to speak, any earthly place you go to find fulfillment will just become one more slave master depending more performance from you. You will have to keep performing, keep striving, and it will leave you in the state we talked about earlier of wondering, is this all there is? And feeling like your 20s is a waste of time because nothing's happening. That's what happens here in Dallas. And this rat race here in the city will suck you in so fast with all the social events, with all the living weekend to weekend. It'll chew you up and spit you out faster than you can think, and a lot of you have figured that out. But if there is a God, if there is someone who infinitely loves you and cares about you deeply and wants to be your friend, then all of a sudden someone enters your life who you finally don't have to perform for that you don't need to get more of because he gives you his full self from the get-go. And you have somebody who looks at all your hurt because he knows everything is all powerful and says, I want to make something bigger out of that. And I want to show you what I mean with a personal story because I think it can be hard because we grew up in church. We've heard about finding fulfillment in God, but oftentimes that feels impractical. What does that look like? And I'll share with my own story. I've talked about this before at OTC, And it's interesting that Morgan talked about this too. 
And some of y'all here have actually walked me through this in some ways, thinking of Blake in particular. But I struggle a lot with anxiety as well. And I didn't, growing up in high school or college, it wasn't really a thing for me, but it really was, again, like Morgan, after I graduated college, where the last three to four years, I've walked through some serious darkness in the midst of dealing with this. And for me, basically, hopefully some of you will relate to this, but like, basically there could be triggers, it could be nothing, it could be something where... All of a sudden, it's like my whole body just feels anxious. Like an anxious feeling just comes all over me. And I begin to, like, I can't sit still. And my mind begins, like, racing. And it can't stop. Like, it won't shut off. And it will last for hours and sometimes days. And what happens is it really makes it impossible to get work done. I can't focus. I can't think. I, I, I can't go to sleep a lot of times. When I'm trying to talk to somebody and have a good conversation, I'm up here, my hamster wheel is spinning, and I'm trying to focus on the person I'm talking to, and I just can't. It makes me want to detach and isolate myself from people because I feel like I'm thinking like a crazy person because I just can't stop. And what ends up happening to me is it usually kicks in whenever I begin to suspect that somebody else thinks there's something wrong with me. That whenever I, an insecurity gets exposed in me, that's usually the biggest trigger for it, and it still flares up from time to time, and I'll be honest, this last week was tough, and it usually causes me to want to just hole up and just not do anything, and what it, it usually ends up doing is leaving me feeling kind of worthless for a few days, it's like, what's wrong with me, and it just, I feel like it can often ruin some relationships with people, and yeah, cause my work to be a lot more difficult. And when you hear all that, I know some of you, I share all that because I feel like some of you in the room feel me and you don't have to nod your head or shake, but like, I'm right there with you if that's you. But we all have this question, whether it's anxiety or depression or self-deprecation, whatever it is, how on earth can I still declare that God provides all I need when I'm walking through that kind of junk? Because God being my fulfillment seems impractical when that's what my life looks like. And I'll tell you how he still does. Because what he does is he gives meaning to my anxiety. Doesn't take it away, but he gives meaning. Because if God wasn't real, if he wasn't walking with me, if there wasn't an all-powerful God who loved me perfectly, then all I would be able to do is turn to temporary pleasures to try to numb the pain. And a lot of you have tried that. And you know it doesn't work. But God doesn't have temporary fulfillment. God in and of himself has permanent fulfillment. The reason he is the well with which to draw from is because, again, there is no wanting of having more. And in God, you have somebody who loves you perfectly and walks with you completely and gives you an eternal perspective on temporary problems. Anxiety only lasts a few days, maybe a week. Same with anything else. But to be with God through it gives you eternal perspective on temporary trials. The Christian life is not about having perfect joy. That's not what it's about. It's not as if all of a sudden your problems are poof gone. But you have somebody who's with you in it, who gives meaning to it. God doesn't take away the pain. He gives meaning to the pain because he can fulfill, unlike anything else can and so this is how, then, to not make your 20s feel like a waste of time. 
Because if you're not doing well, and I know that there's a lot in the room who are not doing well right now, and that's okay. That's why this thing exists. If you're dealing with a lot of wounding from past relationships or feeling like you failed your family's expectations with your life choices, or you feel like you're behind on life's schedule compared to everybody else around you, then what what Isaiah has to say tonight is there is a well to draw from. There is a place you can go. There is meaning to your pain. There is a place you can go to actually find the fulfillment you're looking for and not feel like you're just bouncing from one place to another, searching for answers and wasting your time. He doesn't take away your problems, but what he assures you is that unlike everything else in life, he won't fail you, he won't leave you, and he will use this time period of your life with all these struggles to bring about something greater in the future, well beyond your young adult years. He is the only well that can quench your thirst fully. And that's why, that's what he provides. That's why you go to him. Problem. You've probably heard something like that before. (laughs) If you've been around church long enough, you may have heard that before, and you may be thinking, Grant, I know this, but I still struggle, and I feel like I actually can't tangibly take hold of what you're saying. Sounds great in principle, hard in practice. I hear you. This moves us to our second point, how you respond, what you do with it. So turn back with me or look back with me at Isaiah 12. If you notice, when you look through the verses, there's a recurring theme that is used. Slide me, Bailey. If you look, Isaiah 12.1, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. Isaiah 12.2, God is my song. Isaiah 12.4, give thanks to the Lord. Isaiah 12.5, sing praises to the Lord. Isaiah 12, 6, sing for joy. Now, if I was a Sunday school teacher, I'd ask you what it's saying, but I think we all know what it's saying. And what it's saying is, it's obviously commanding us to exalt and praise God in the midst of life. And it's all in response. What it's saying is to praise God in response to the fact that he is the fulfillment we're all looking for. That since he has life in himself, that he is the well we can go to, to praise him for that. But some of you want to hit the brakes there and go, okay, I hear that. I hear the idea, I've heard the idea of giving thanks to God and praising him. But oftentimes, if that's me just going to church and offering up empty praise songs and singing Hillsong songs that I vaguely know and offering up empty prayers at meals, that doesn't feel very meaningful. And I hear that. But this is related to much more than that. This is not about offering up empty prayers in a religious experience. What Isaiah is talking about is a lifestyle of giving thanks. A thankful life. And this is really, really practical for you because trusting and thanking are closely related. Let me show you. Look at verse 2. You see out in verse 2 it says, I will trust and I will not be afraid. What Isaiah is saying is if you want to have trust in God in your life and not be afraid of life's circumstances, you give thanks to him. But that, you're like, Grant, how does that answer my question? And furthermore, isn't God just asking us to thank him all the time, just like kind of selfish? Like, doesn't he have better things to do than us to like sing songs or whatever, give thanks to him? I'll tell you why you should have a lifestyle of thanking God. Because trusting in God and thanking him and praising him helps you keep reality straight. Let me tell you. 
So there's this phenomenon going on in modern society where the reason, if you want to break down why people struggle so much right now with mental health problems, it's because we're growing up in a generation where the reality that's going on in our heads has become more real than what's actually going on on the outside. That's a little philosophical. Let's break it down. Because we're constantly being fed by social media and we're constantly consuming digital content all the time, we're being fed information on a daily basis that's contributing to a narrative that's going on up here. I'll give you the most classic example. A lot of you in the room have convinced yourselves that you are more lonely than everybody else. Why? Because you go to social media, you get on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, and you see people having a great time. You see the Dallas social elites going out and doing their thing. You see the people having the awesome parties or going or weekends of vacations, and you see all of this. And you think that that's what their entire lives look like. And you go, well, I'm holed up miserable in my room for the last five days. Everybody else has something that I don't. Do you see what you've done? You've told yourself a story up here that's not true. Because in reality, the people who are posting the things on Instagram are also miserable and are posting a lot of their content as, an, as a coping mechanism to deal with it. So you've now convinced yourself that you're the most lonely person in the room, even though everybody is as equally lonely as you. It is normal to be lonely. And I promise you that most people in here would think that they are above average lonely. <laughs> and it's because we think up here that this is what's real <laughs> and not what's actually going on. And... What we've essentially done to ourselves is the following. Let's go ahead and play this movie clip to really put like a, a visual to what we've done with telling ourselves stories. Hit it, Bailey. No one was harmed, I swear. <laughs> well, that is embarrassing. Thank you, TikTok. <laughs> Are you going to be out? Okay, okay, okay. It seems confusing. Here's what's happening. Those people are all wearing VR headsets where they're looking at walking like a beam on a skyscraper. And when they get to the end of the skyscraper, they're falling in real life because they think they're falling in their VR headset. So now the reality that's being put in front of their eyeballs right here is influencing how they interact with their own living room. That is exactly what we do to a T. Because what we do, if you're like me, you've convinced yourself up here when you sit down and you're alone and you're thinking that there's something wrong with you. You think that there's the, you have major flaws and that people are not going to accept you for who you are. So what you've done now is you interact with your living room, with your reality, as if you're wearing a VR headset. That, the story that you've told yourself. And this reason right here is exactly why God wants us to have a lifestyle of giving thanks to him. Because what it does is that he wants you to cling to what's actually real. What's on up here is not real. What is real is someone who is infinitely powerful and infinitely loving. Someone who wants to be your friend and whose eternal is not going anywhere. All the things that stress us, that cause us the anxiousness or the depression or the self-deprecation, all of those things are temporary, and they're less real than him. 
And a lifestyle where you're constantly thanking God and praising him for who he is is simply just reminding yourself that's real. The rest of this is not. It's perspective. It's giving you meaning to your life that you can't find anywhere else. If, if God is real, then everything on earth is temporary. And all the things that you spend your days being consumed by are less real than he is. Everything else in life that you worry about is a dumb VR headset over your eyeballs. This is how then you respond. Thanking God convinces yourself and the people around you that he is the well. And that he does have fulfillment. The more time you spend trying to trust him and praise him for who he is, for being the source of all contentment, the more you will begin to fully actually believe he can fulfill all your needs. It's a daily practice because too often the problem is we th- we tend to thank God for the temporary blessings he's given us. Our idea of thanking God is thank you for my job, thank you for my girlfriend, thank you for whatever. But all of those things are just you treating him as means to an end and you're thanking God for the other wells in your life that are going to leave you thirsty. What What we're saying here is if you praise God for who he is, who he is in and of himself without any strings attached, then what you're learning is that you'll be trusting and convincing yourself that he's better than everything else in your life. And practically what that means then is in your prayer life, whatever that looks like, begin to implement a practice where you just talk to God and thank him for who he is. Because if you can thank God for being good when you're in an anxiety hole for three days then that is something powerful that can get you through all the storms that you'll face and trials you'll face in your life. And it's all about thanking him for who he is. And so here's what you need to do. When you feel terrible or rejected, you feel unloved, don't let a narrative form in your head about your role in the world and what people think about you. Instead of listening, watching the VR headset, go look at God, Behold his character, see what he says about you, and let that become your reality. And go convince yourself that he's more permanent and more real and better than anything else. And if you do that day by day, week by week, in little faithful tasks, it's a grind. It's not like a go to church, see the smoke and the lasers, and finally you convince yourself that God is the best thing ever. It's waking up every day and recommitting that. And not letting the junk up here rule the day. Every day. And when you do that, you can be convinced that if you, have, if you find times where disastrous events kind of ruin your life and take it off course, if you have a life of thanking him and a life of praising him and worshiping him as who he is, you can get through anything. And you can be convinced that at the end of it, you will finally hear the words you have always wanted to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. He's not asking for perfect joy. He's not asking for perfect devotion. He's just asking to convince yourself that he really does have all that you need. Because he wants to give that to you. Now, I know a lot of you are thinking, Grant, I want that. I really do. But I feel like I can't get it because I can't do anything right. Like, I screw up so much, and I am such a failure, and my walk with the Lord is so bad that I don't think I can do what you're asking. 
How can this be? How can this apply to me? I'll tell you how. This is our third point. Last point, where you get it. We'll end here. Let's go back to the beginning of the passage. Let's go into it one more time in a verse I skipped over. And after Isaiah says to give thanks to the Lord, he says, You will say to me in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. So I will give thanks to the Lord because he's not angry with me anymore. Time out. So we're supposed to be thankful to God because he was once angry with us and now he isn't. That essentially sounds like a consider yourself lucky type situation, right? But here's what it's saying. Here's what it's alluding to. It's not all the baggage in your head from what you've heard before. Take it out. This is what it's alluding to. The Bible teaches that all of us, all of humanity makes God a means to an end. That really all of us are searching for fulfillment and satisfaction in every part of life. And we all crave money, sex, power, and fame because all of us want to live selfishly and fulfill our own desires. That's how we're wired. And it's because of that that the world is full of pain, suffering, broken relationships, and abuse. It all comes from everybody wanting to live selfishly. And that does anger him. Because he's watching his creation, who he loves, destroy itself by going to the temporary wells of life rather than him. And it's caused all the mess in your life. And ultimately, somebody has to pay for this injustice because in the court system of life, there has to be a guilty verdict and somebody has to serve a sentence for all of the terrible atrocities that have have happened throughout all of human history. But if you're a believer, that does not fall on you because we don't get God's anger. Remember how I said that Hebrew word for salvation is Yeshua? Well, if you're a good Sunday school kid, that may sound familiar to you. That's because that's Jesus' Hebrew name, Yeshua, salvation. God's anger doesn't get directed at you or me. It gets directed at Yeshua, at Jesus. That's why the Bible makes such a big deal about his suffering, because instead of us getting obliterated for the damage we've caused, he sends himself and his own son in our place to get obliterated instead. And what that means then is that he gets destroyed so that we would never have to be. Now, I say that, and a lot of you go, I've heard this, we get it, like, play the piano, cue the keys, like, play the music, whatever. Hold on. It may sound repetitive, redundant, sometimes archaic, but the way the Bible describes this is the way it has to be, because a lot of people get upset at the idea of God being angry. We don't like that. However, you cannot have a God who loves without a God who gets angry. Because what kind of God would not be angry at child molestation? What Would you want to worship a loving God who is just not revolted and okay with that happening? Now, the idea is the cross is the only place in the world where perfect love and perfect justice intertwine. Because what it says is that sin is so bad and that evil and wrongs are so bad that God has to die for them. It affirms everybody who has ever been abused and victimized and said, that stuff is serious. But it also says it looks at everybody in this room, Jesus dying on the cross, and says, you are absolutely loved and forgiven, even though you cause a lot of this. He takes on the punishment that is deserved from all the sin in the world, and by doing so, God can look at your worst mistakes and say, I forgive you. Perfect justice, perfect love. The only place where our desires for justice and love are met there. 
It's the only place where love and justice are perfectly in sync. And so this is where you get it. Only Christ can secure you the well. So that you can trust that even when you don't perfectly find God as your fulfillment, you're good. And too many of you are distraught often over how you're living or what's on your heart and your mind. Because you look at yourself, if your life is spent depending on yourself to find fulfillment in God, and you're constantly looking at your own attitudes, your own motives, your own way of doing things, you're often going to be in distress. Because you're never going to add up, you're never going to be good enough. Because what you have to do is, while Christian culture often directs you towards figuring it out, what this is saying is admit you don't have it figured out and fall into Jesus' arms and collapse into his arms. Let me read a brief quote because I'm out of time. I'll shorten it. But from Robert Murray McShane, he's an old Scottish Presbyterian pastor. Here's how he puts it. If you want to figure out how to find fulfillment in God in this life, even when you fail, look to a manifested Jesus. Some of you think you will come to peace by looking into your own heart. Your eye is riveted there. If you could only see a glimpse of light there, oh, what joy it would give you. Oh, dear souls, it is not there you will find peace. It will not be in the heart. You must look to a declared Christ. Spread out the record of God concerning his son, his heart, his work, and his grace. And the moment you're willing to believe all that concerning Jesus, that is the moment you will wipe away your tears and change your sighs for a new song of praise, like Isaiah 12. If you feel like your 20s have been a waste of time, stop trying, stop doubting yourself. Stop trying to fix yourself. Stop being disgusted with yourself. Go collapse in his arms. Go to the one person who loves you unconditionally, who loves you in spite of everything you've done, who looks at the worst thing you've ever done and said, I'll die for that. Admit you're broken. Go collapse there. And in him, you'll find the fulfillment you're looking for. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've done for us. While we don't, I know I don't trust in you as my fulfillment. I know I look to all sorts of other places and validation. Help me to believe that you really do have everything that you say you offer. Let me have a life of thank, of being grateful. Let everyone in this room see how great you are by yourself in the midst of whatever is going on in people's minds and hearts, that they would know how much you love them, how much you have for them, how much you've forgiven them, and that this week they would be able to see that day by day, hour by hour. In your name I pray. Amen.